it's been good for us that we have slowed down a little and backed up just a bit for this season, and because normally we go through a book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we've backed up and said we want to take a month to think about the wonder and the amazement of Jesus Christ coming to earth. It's worth us taking in how amazing these pieces are that his arrival brought joy and peace and hope. Today we talk about in this last week of Advent, love. Boy, I say love and immediately, even with the others, the difficulty with them really is they have become taken over, watered down, somewhat changed by our society that uses these things in all different ways. You know, hope becomes a wish instead of the assurance that Jesus brought when he was born of God's love for us. Peace becomes sort of no conflict instead of the amazing wonder that we have harmony with the God of everything because Jesus Christ came Love is like that. If I say, oh, Jesus brought love, most of us go, oh, yeah, I know. I mean, but it's become so diluted in some ways. What is it Jesus really brought that's about love? Love is how everything goes. I mean, even if you go back, oh, let me give you a quote from almost 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 years ago at a guy named Augustine. And he said on one of his homilies in the first epistle of John, once and for all, then a short precept for your life, he said, love and do what you will. See, that's it. That's all you need is love. He's not quoting the Beatles song. He's way before it. You know, he said, he said, let the root of love be within and this root can nothing spring but what is good. Oh, if you've got love, you've, you've got it. And it's not just me that thinks that. I think I've shared with you, I've shared that quote one other time, and I told you, I found it, I was browsing because I was kind of like scoping out this Buddhist site. They were quoting that. Because the whole world loves the idea of love. Love's amazing. Love's where it's at. And it's not just intellectual head knowledge, right? You taste and you see it, both sides of it. It feels good to give love and to feel like, oh, and then, and then to receive it, to have somebody love you. And, and, and this is what life is about. And, and how does Jesus enter that? Why is this about today? We're talking about the gift and the wonder, Noel, which is the birth of Jesus. And, and it's not just sort of the precept of love. It's the wonder and the gift of love to you and and, and what does that mean? He is the fulfillment of every amazing love. But I, I say that, and, and I guess I want to bring it home for you, especially on this Christmas Eve, and we're going to sit down tomorrow and think about the, the, the beauty of Jesus' birth and what he brings to you and me. And Oh, may your heart be touched. And, and so what I wanted to do is take a few minutes and just talk first that, that, that there's, in terms of love persisting and persists even in our lives because of Jesus and the gift, is to think about images of love. That, that's your life. The Greek in, in the Bible, the Koine Greek, which is what the Bible is mostly written in the New Testament, it, it has four words for love, but, but only two of the words are really in the New Testament. So this idea of love is the idea of a warm heart towards your family and friends. Kind of friendship. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a, a warmth to it. 
Uh, and you've heard of sure of agape love, or this self-sacrificing love that is about the other person. You're, you have a beloved and, and, and you are just so focused on and wanting their good. Love, right? And the coming of Jesus is the perfect arrival of love. Not just, and we think sometimes of, because he loved, but because he actually received love. Think that through with me for a minute. I mean, it's the highest statement of God's love in the Bible or God's love for his son. Remember there in, in John, in John's gospel, actually it's, uh, the, the first one I have is from Matthew. It says Matthew where the heavens break open and the, the, lo- the dove comes down when Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And what's the statement? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, says God. I love this son. John's gospel says it over and over. You've got the father loves the son and has shown all things to him in John 5. The father loves the, the son and has given things into his hand. John 10. The father loved Jesus before the foundation of the world. That's John 17. So over and over, right? That you have that from eternity past, there's this idea. This is what life is built on. That the father loved the son. So there's Jesus, and he's loved by the Father. That's, that's who he is. And then he turns and he, he gives that love to us, right? That's the concept, the biblical concept. I'll, I'll share this one from John 15. It says, as the Father has loved me, yeah, he really has. The Father loves Jesus. It says, so I have loved you, Jesus says. Abide in my love. Stay there. Rest there. Take it in. So, so Jesus, even born in the manger all the way through his life, is the embodiment of God's love. I mean, that's John 3.16, right? Who doesn't know it? For God so loved the world. How did he love the world? He gave his only begotten son. Oh, we're talking Christmas. There it is. And we have this experience of love through our whole life. These images that, that we do, right? The, the summary of the highest experience of human life is, is love. It's, it's the law of God, the, God's law, which says love one another. Sometimes it's called the law of love. Don't owe anyone anything, it says in Romans, except what? Love one another. By the way, people miss this. Love one another means that you're giving love and you're what? Receiving love. Sometimes you're well, I'm just going to give a giver of love. No, actually, the saying, this peace that is about God is about giving and receiving love. So, so our most critical relationships revolve around imaging this amazing love. This is what we're about in life for everybody, whether you're Christian or not. But as Christians, we realize it because we've got the Bible that tells us. So, for example, if, if you're a parent with a child... Yeah, I, I, I guess I can't. I mean, if, if you haven't been a parent, I, I for a long time wasn't a parent. I couldn't say this with experience, but now I say it with experience. My kid, when I got to see her, each of them, took her home from the hospital. And this one's mine. It was amazing. The sense, I got a little taste of the father's heart, right? Of loving my kid. Until they woke up and started to cry. 
But there was. You've, you've got it. You're your dad. Or if you're a mom, same thing, right? You have your kid and you love your kid. You, you want you, anything. You have this feeling and, and, and there you are. That's, that's an image. And you're a kid and you, you see that and you receive the, the, the real care of a father, real care of a mother. You, you've, you've experienced love and you're imaging this amazing thing that stretches back to the father loving the son and, and what, what life is really about, which is love. It's not just father and mother with a child, right? It, it, it's, it's a marriage relationship. Talk about the relationship, what it's supposed to be like, right? It's this amazing, somebody is for you, and to be so for somebody, you just can't hardly even stand it. I, I just am so for my spouse. I, I'll do anything for them. And the, the same thing, I receive that from her. Like Christ in the church, it's just amazing. This love both sides self-sacrifice even even the, the the romantic feeling of love becomes something it's like i'm tasting something very special i'm imaging something about life i mean surely this is what it means to be revealing who god is and so we can say with john this is the message that you have heard from the beginning the very beginning, that we should love one another. Don't miss that loving one another means giving and receiving. And that this image is even Jesus. He came to earth. He he was the embodiment of the Father's love. And then he shared that love with us. And boy. So now we're going to take a moment and sing Kumbaya. (laughs) No, we're not. Why not? Because, because it's a little disappointing. I mean, I, I, I hope it's okay to be a little real. I mean, for most of us, the experience leaves us somewhat disappointed, and that's because our love is lacking. It's okay to just call that out. I mean, Jesus came, right? And his love is amazing. But my experience with love is a little more tenuous. That's because my imaging, and I'm saying, hey, we image love, right? We're doing imaging of love with our family relationships and with our marital relationships and with even the one another relationships of the church. And here we are. I don't image very well. And, And what do I mean? Well, three main things to consider as you think about because this is how we take in i know what love is how do i know well because my dad or because my spouse well if we're talking about that as imaging the love of god there's a problem and one of the problems there's three of them one of the problems is that my love is limited right my love is limited I'm a parent. I love my kids, but I get frustrated. I don't always show that love to them because I'm ticked. Sorry, kids. You'll need therapy later when I'm not paying for it. But it's real, right? It's real that, that, that we have the intention to love. We have the, the desire, but, but it doesn't always come out and, and it's not always experienced by the other person. That's because we're limited in our ability to actually show it. We, we, we don't follow it all the way through and we, we don't care for someone like they need to be cared for. And that's just not parent and kids. They're talking about your marriage. I'm not meaning to get 
make you uncomfortable. But you know, half of Christian marriages end in divorce. Half of let me make that sure that half of Christian marriages end in divorce. That's called a failure of love. Right? It's limited. It doesn't last. It's only for a moment. You give glimpses, but it's not as strong as it should be. It's not as clear as to God's incredible, never-ending love. I mean, I take the definition of, of the First Corinthians passage, 13. Everybody knows the passage on love. Love's like, oh, you know, love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love bears all things and hopes all things. And love never fails. Let me just pluck one verse out of that. Long list, and you can go read it later. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Yeah. The sound guy says, Swanson, just turn your mic off. That's because that gets me uncomfortable because I want to put my name there. I said, okay, instead of love, I'll put my name. And I'd say, Dax bears all things. I, I, okay, I could stop there, but let me keep going. Dax believes all things. Dax hopes all things. Dax endures all things. No, I don't. Dax bears a few things. Dax might occasionally believe some things. So, so and you could do that with you. And now I know you can put Jesus there and he's perfect. I get it. That's, that, that's, that's, that's kind of the point. But, but with us in our marital relationships, in our parental relationships, in the, my kid, my, towards my parents, in all the relationships that I have that are based on an imaging love, I, I don't do this. doesn't mean I want to. Well, except that it's, I, I don't want to. Jesus is perfect. And I certainly hope my love becomes more like Jesus's, but I'm often disappointed because my love is really limited. That means it's not enough. That means it falters. That means eventually it even ends. I mean, it, it does end because I die. I wish I could still experience my dad's love, but he died several years ago. I don't experience it anymore, except in my memory. That's just life, right? It's limited. This is different than God's love. The second thing that's associated, these are limited in a couple ways, but ways you should be thinking about. One is it's limited because it's conditional. My love, our love, human love, that we're just imaging the love of God, is conditional. The Bible shows it. You know, they have in Mark 10 where Jesus sees this rich young ruler and he loves him. He's like, this guy's amazing. And, 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 the, and the guy tells him, I've been keeping the commandments of God from as a kid. And he says, you lack one thing. Give away all your stuff and follow me. And he says, great God, because I love you more than anything else, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You're mate. No, actually, he says, I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> Can't do that. That's so us. That's so every person ever. You know, I'll love you, God, if you provide for me and heal me and give me what I want. It's conditional. I mean, take your marriage. You, you make these vows. You really do. You make these vows to say, I will be with you through thick and thin, through anything. It is unconditional until it's not. 
I'm not hitting on anybody here except for myself. As I get unloving about the habits that my spouse has. And I'm not putting her on the spot. I'm just saying we do. That's what we do. You know, I love the things about her that I love. The other things I want to change. What if they don't change? The silly example I use all the time is that, okay, you have a marriage and it functions. Definitely it kind of all scratch your back if you scratch mine. And so basically the one person says, okay, I'll take out the trash. And the person says, okay, I'll do the dishes. And that seems real acceptable, and you can insert whatever tasks you do in your marriage around those things. But if the one person stops doing the dishes long enough, the other person says, I'm stopping doing out the trash. Because we're conditional people. We don't like it when the other person doesn't do the things that show that they care for me. You're not loving me, said the dumbest person ever as four fingers point out at themselves. When what they said is they're going to love the other person. This is because our love is conditional. It's conditional of our understanding of how the other person is going to love us or what they're going to do for us. If your kid spits in your face enough, you'll eventually put them out. God doesn't. If, you, if, you, if your spouse cheats on you enough, you'll eventually put her out. God doesn't. Have you heard of Hosea? We're conditional. That's not a knock, by the way. That's just who you are. That's saying how you're made, how you think. Uh, So if I, you know, if I want to hold up love and I want to work on finding this in myself, I have to really dig deep, you know. But as I dig deep, it reveals how impossible it is for me. I mean, maybe that's because my, our love is so fundamentally different than God's on both sides. What do you mean both both sides? I mean on the giving and on the receiving. So, so catch this. Connected to conditionality is this thing called the attractional nature of our love. I don't know if you've heard of this or thought of this before or thought about it this way. Our love is pulled toward what is attractive to us. That's a fact of my life. We make that part of love, you know, and we even say, if you loved me, you would do this for me because this will help me love you more. I find clean, wholesome, humble, disciplined, fun, joyful. I find that attractive in a friend or, or, or just to, to, to love somebody. I, I like that they're moving in a way that I feel like, oh, they're trying to be better. I like all these things, and therefore I'm more willing to enter into and love that person because I find that attraction old. If you're off-putting and swearing at me and going to kick me when I walk up to you, I'm kind of going to go see you, man. Whatever. I'll love you from afar. That's the code name for I won't love you. That, that's who we are, right? I, I, I can't... I love my spouse. I find her beautiful. It's not like a confessional. She does with me too, I hope. But there are certain things I know it would be better in my marriage if I didn't do. I didn't poke her. 
If I loved her better, I said, I, I, so it, it ends on the receiving side because I, I know that, boy, I want to be loved. And so what I try to do is to make myself into someone who's lovable by doing the things that will make the other person love me. That's how the world works. Conditionality and sort of this attractional, they kind of go hand in hand. And we take that to God too. That's the basic thought of Luke 10. Jesus has this guy come up to him, this young lawyer, and the young lawyer says, hey, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, hey, what do you think? He says, well, I think I should love God and love my neighbor. And he's like, yeah, that's great, do it. And the guy's like, who's my neighbor? So I can make sure I do the things that make sure God's happy with me. Jesus gives him such a tale of impossible love. Crazy love nobody does. Love your absolute enemy, you know, the one who hates you and hates your people. Embrace the one who's repugnant, not as a project to make them less repugnant, but to just be love to them. You take the person who's hurt you the worst, you take the person who's continuing to damage you, who's the person who's repugnant to your very essence of who you are, and you go hug them. Love your enemies. Uh, If it'll make you love me more, God, I'll try. I'm willing to try really hard to try and show that I'm worthy to be loved, to be good in order to be pleasing, to deserve, to know that I'm lovable, that the, the, the fit, the funny, the clean, the good get loved. And so I, I go after it, man. I'll be fit, funny, and clean. I mean, there's, there's, there's things that you do to, to try and be loved. It's both sides. It's not just that we have trouble with conditionality and limited loving. We have trouble with receiving because we're we're constantly trying to manage the worthiness of being loved. Doesn't work. Leaves me disappointed. And we try our best, you guys. Uh, This is just me yipping at you. So we will, but we try our best to get around our ability not to love, and so we make love about doing the hard choice. Have you heard ever this idea? You know, I love you, but I don't really like you. Like I've committed to being to loving you, so I'm going to love you. I hate that I have to. And you go around with this burden in your heart, but you're doing the right thing. You're loving. You're being sacrificial towards a person. You're continuing to buy them lunch or something. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't call it love. It's not the biblical sort of like, like warm-hearted desire for the other person's best. Anytime you say, I don't like you, it's not really like a warm hug. We say it in our hearts. But I have to love because agape love is sort of self-sacrifice. I will self-sacrifice you. I will hate it, but I will do it. Not self-sacrificing. You're trying to earn something from God, something you have to do. Stop having to do it and realize you don't love very well. Because that's not the idea of love. This dry, cold thing. So my love is disappointing. I don't love very well. I'm not loved very well. There's both sides. And that is until I, what? Until I see Jesus. We are talking about Advent. Noel. Why we worship this gift of love.
Jesus came not, not to be loved, but to love. Right? He came in the upside down way. We, we're attracted to things. Jesus did not come in an attractional way. He came in a manger, dirty, crummy, upside down. And I know we clean it up. We make the manger soft. We put a little glow. We we make a little donkey and make sure the donkey's been brushed. And and, and we make sure it all looks really nice. But we're talking teenage mom with a a baby shoved in the corner doing the best they can to to, to live. And, And it's not clean and attractive and cool. He was the king of heaven. Isaiah says he came in such a way that no one, no one was attracted to him. That, that's what he did, right? He's the gift, and, and, and he redefines love. His love, then, is radical. It is different than your and my love. When you realize Jesus is the king of heaven, and you, on your own, are a, are a speck of dust that he's breathed into life, all of a sudden, the statements of Jesus being love are radical. His very being is loving you. That's his definition of who he is. What he gives. What, would you hear this, the, these descriptions of Jesus? Let me pull a couple, maybe ones you haven't seen. Here's one. From, from Revelation chapter 1, this is describing who Jesus is. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. We know he was raised from the dead. That's the resurrection. That's Easter. To him and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Catch how Jesus is described? <laughs> He's the one who loves you. It's not just that I get that he freed us from our sins by his blood. That's the act of love. But the the motivation, the heart there is that he loves you. You. That's amazing. Present tense never stops. He's still alive. You've got somebody, don't you dare say today you have no one who loves you. You do. His name's Jesus. He died for you. How about this in Romans 8? You know this one well, probably. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? You see, it's so strong. It never ends. You can't get away from it. So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. The answer, of course, rhetorically is no, 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 nothing. What kind of love? The love of God generically? No, the love of Christ, the babe who came and it seemed like nothing. And he, and well, we don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know what his eye color was. But I know this, he loves me. That's the testimony of the Bible. Radical. This is the wonder of Advent, right? The coming of Jesus, the wonder of love. Here's 1 John 4. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God's love, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So, so it's, it's not about us serving God. It's not about us getting to God. It's not about us sort of doing something to make God love us. It's the reality we've come to know, we've come to believe, to trust that God loves us. How do I know? The gift of Jesus in the manger. He loves you right now. You see how different this is? Our love is conditioned. I, I can't keep it from being so. I'm constantly thinking about, am I getting what I need? Is the other person loving me rightly? So I will love them if they love me, or I'll do for them if there's something in it that I get a, some sort of codependency out of. 
not God. His unconditional love, loving the unlovable, it will be the testimony of his life. If you read the Gospels and you go through the life of Jesus and what he's doing, there he is walking in, in Luke 19. He's walking down and there's this repugnant. He's not a cute little wee man. Oh, cute guy. He climbed a tree to see Jesus. No, there's this tax collector who robs people of their homes. He, he extorts them. He's like a mob boss. And he comes up to see Jesus. And Jesus points him, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. I love you. It's incredible. The love of Jesus for the sinner, not the attractiveness of the human being for God. Jesus gathers the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes and the unlovely. And what does he do? He loves them. Not because they pledge to stop doing that stuff, but because he's for them. I came not to call the beautiful, he says, not to call the righteous or the good. I came to call sinners. Unconditional love. There's statements like this all over, right? There's John 13 where Jesus says to, to, to the disciples there, and there he's, he, his, Jesus loves his own who are in the world. And having said that, I said, he loved him to the, they loved them to the end. He's talking about the disciples. Do you remember the end? Like when every single disciple says, I'm out, and they bailed on him? When everybody ran away? When everyone's betraying him and denying they even knew him? And Jesus goes to the cross anyway. Why? Because he loves them. Wholeheart, his warm feeling towards the betrayal of his friend. He, he adores him. He goes back afterwards to grab Peter and say, Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, well, obviously not. The whole point is Jesus loves Peter. And he goes and gets him and restores him. That's our Savior. That's our Jesus. Unconditional love. You know, Lazarus in, in John 11, where, where, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus isn't known for his great love of Jesus. The statement is that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loves It's incredible. John, as he goes through the text, and you know, people argue if it's really John, but I think it is. You know, he never says his name, John. He always calls himself by a particular name. Do you remember what it is? The disciple that really loved Jesus. No. No, 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 that's not it at all. The disciple that Jesus loved. That's where you want your heart at. That's what we worship at Christmas. Jesus came. Jesus loves you. He does. That's why we say we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Not that we've come to love him well. Not that we've succeeded in being attractional. Not that we've done all these imaging things right. We haven't. We haven't. We don't. But we've come to believe something because Jesus came, because the manger is true, because the life of Jesus is true, because the testimony of Jesus is true, because what Jesus says about God the Father is true, because he's the exact representation of God, because these things become true, and I believe it, that it's about his love for me. And, can I say, his love for you.
Oh, remarkable. I'm going to say it like this. His one-way, unconditional love of us. So, but isn't this sort of two-way love? Don't I need to love him back or, or he won't love me? Don't I need to clean up and sin less and improve and do more? Well, this is the wonder of the gift, right? Actually, no, that's not the condition. Don't think things won't change. Don't get me wrong, right? Remember Luke 7? Remember that the Jesus gathering all these sinners and all these bad people that he's hanging out with and, and this is our Savior and, and, and the guy comes along, the Pharisee, the good guy, comes along and says, you know, his name was Simon, why are you hanging out with these losers? He says, Simon, i got a story for you. So there's a moneylender. He's got someone who owes just a little bit and someone who like has a lifetime's worth of debt and he just forgives them both. Which one do you think is more grateful? Like, well, obviously the one who's forgiven everything. He says, yeah. I'm not limited in what I can forgive. The problem is you. You don't actually receive it. You don't see the depth of the wonder of the unfailing love of God for you. And you want to make it about you. You got it all wrong. This is the wonder of Christmas, right? That's because it's not about the depth of the sin. It's about the receiving of his love. God's love, hear this, creates what God wants. It is not like our love. I have no power, except in a really unhealthy way, to get you to be a different person than you are. That is not true of God. God's love is creative. It creates what he wants. He's God. He has the power to do anything. And he says, and I've set my love on you and I adore you and it's you that he loves. Don't think he can't get you exactly where you're supposed to be. In your heart. In your life. How do I know that, Dax? How could you say that? Well, you know, I, I want to say, well, if I would only improve, then I would love you. That, that's our way. If you get beauty, then you'll, the, the, someone will be attracted to that beauty is the basis for billions of dollars in health skin products of the whole dermatology industry. It's not God. Jesus loved us while we were sinners because he has the power to do whatever he will with us. Not by our improving, but by his creating. His love creates. Can I say, hear this? Hear this. Is it not true? Hear this. Sinners are made righteous by the love of Jesus. The weak, and you're weak, are made strong by Jesus himself. The losers are made winners by the love of Christ. The lost are found Luke 15, right? The barren are made fruitful. Isn't that the promise of God in Isaiah? The distant are made near. Have you read Ephesians 2? The dead are made alive. Have you heard of Jesus and what he does? 
The love of God creates what he wants. You don't do that so he'll love you. You can't. But because his love creates. So what will you do? What do you do then? What can I do? Here's what you do today. This is why I'm doing this for you. It's because Jesus Christ is a gift. What do you do? You receive it. You say, yes, Lord. I've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. How do I know it? The baby Jesus. The Jesus who lived and testified. The Jesus who died and rose from the dead. The Jesus who comes again and he has promised he's made a way and a place for me. And for you, if you receive him as a gift. This is the message of Christmas. Christ for us forever. We don't have the ability. He does. And he says, I love you. You don't understand it. And yes, your love disappoints and your images fall apart. But abide in my love. And this is our role. Abiding in his love. Resting in his love. His love for us. Leaning back. Sinking in. Relaxing. Resting. Remaining. Not like a little energy to get your own love out there. But trusting in his love of us. Yeah, it'll produce love in you. Of course. The amazing wonder of you getting gospel astonishment and what Jesus Christ has done for you. Hey, some good things will come out of that, but that's not the purpose. And if you start going, well, I'm, I'm, I'm believing in Jesus so that I'll be the best me I can be. Now you're not thinking of it as a gift. It's, it's got to be a gift or it's nothing. This gift. See what kind of love the Father's given to us. His name's Jesus. That we should be called Children of God. And so we are. He did it. Or the end of Jude. There's a famous verse for you. I'm sure you all know it very well. What does it say, Dax? Here it is. Keep yourselves where? In the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. His mercy for you. You're just keeping yourself, making sure you stay in the wonder that he adores you. And you say, well, well, there's all these accusations that come at me. There's all these condemnations. Yeah, that's called the devil. The devil's the accuser. That's literally the name of the devil. Where the announcement of the gospel, which is declared to you today, is that Jesus Christ has paid for all your sins and his blood covers you. And you open him up and there it is. Christmas is the best gift you've ever had. And that's why we open gifts is thinking about, reminding ourselves of the wonder, the gift of God for you. Jesus' love as a gift to receive. He loves you. His love includes his forgiving our lack of love. Jesus for us. The drink is for us. The, the blood is for us. The, the body is for us. The, the, the life of God is for us. Our baptism is to remind us all these things that say our only hope is Christ for us. So I don't know your circumstances today or the way you failed in your love and you want to say I got to be a better lover or I'm not imaging God. But you do image God because our relationships are based on love. We just also image the need for Jesus whose love is so much deeper unconditional, creational, not attractional, amazing. And it's why we say Christmas is so important. Not because Jesus, oh, Jesus was really born in April. No, it doesn't matter. We celebrate that Jesus Christ was given to you and to me. Would you open the gift this Christmas? 
the most amazing love you'll ever have for you. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the goodness and the wonder of your son. We can't plumb the depths of his love for us. Oh, the breadth and the height and the width we know. But may we today receive as a gift the wonder that you've done it all for us. Forgive us, Lord, that we continue to try and make you love us more. Forgive us our strange ideas. Help us to rest in the truth that you are for us now and forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray.